probably the most important verse in the entire chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Bible says, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. And the church must be faithful in maintaining this truth. And we cannot neglect our duty in it. Um, in 1927, uh, the instructions to the employees of the U.S. Lighthouse Service was this. If you were a lighthouse keeper, this is what you were instructed to do. It said, the manual said, you need constant and faithful attention to your duties, which are required of all persons in the service. And no employee shall be absent from his station or duty without authority. Because if they neglected their duty on that lighthouse, lives would be at stake. Somebody could suffer shipwreck and somebody could die because whoever was in charge of that lighthouse fell asleep on the job or didn't take it serious. They didn't maintain their duty. And this verse here is much the same. We can't neglect our duty in teaching, honoring, and, and preaching this verse. And it says without controversy. We're not going to argue about it because there's no doubt about it. We're not going to debate or dispute because there is no debating or dispute. The very grain and fiber of the Christian faith and the Christian life lies right in this verse God was manifest in the flesh we got to we got to believe it we got to teach it amen it says great is the mystery mystery of godliness a mystery in the bible it's something that god has hidden from man until he decides to reveal it to man. It doesn't mean that the truth doesn't exist. It doesn't mean that the truth isn't real. It just means what? That God hasn't yet revealed it to man. He revealed God himself in a body of flesh. And that's, that's a great mystery. That's the great mystery of godliness. Uh, you might not be able to figure out all the aspects of the Trinity, all the aspects of the Godhead, that is. And God doesn't expect you to. He expects you to read his word and believe it. But God, he is the true light. And he's given every man enough light to know who he is. That's what our God does. Christ is all throughout the Old Testament, all the way from Genesis to Malachi. Christ is is pictured, he's shadowed, he's all throughout that Old Testament. But there was a day when he was made manifest in a body of flesh on this earth, and great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Amen. When God reveals truth, it's absolute. He declares it. It's not up to us to try to reason it away or expect our finite minds 
to be able to answer all the questions concerning an infinite God. What God, He expects from us, He gives us light, He gives us His truth, He expects us to believe it, by faith, believe it. You know the Christian life is a walk of faith? You You can't scientifically prove everything about your faith. God expects you to believe what He says. And great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. If we try to discover everything there is to know about God by our own scientific reasoning, we're basically concluding that our reasoning is always valid, and it's not. We don't have an infinite mind. God has an infinite mind. You can't figure out, and I can't figure out, everything about God because, well, our reasoning is flawed. God gives us his word. He said, hey, just take me at my word. I know what I'm doing. Just believe what I say. The Bible says God was manifest in a body of flesh. And you know what that is? That's a great mystery. That is a great mystery. How in the world... Can that happen? I I mean, God basically said, what I'm going to do is allow a virgin to conceive and give birth and no man is going to be involved. That has been a great mystery of man since the beginning of time. are you going to explain that you have God being manifest in a body of flesh and without the seed of man great is the mystery of godliness God was manifest in the flesh that's a beautiful beautiful truth how can a woman have a baby Without a man. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Amen. Amen. Now you can be saved for 50 years and not figure that truth out. And if you want to park on that and try to reason it out and figure it out and scientifically test it out, you can do that for 50 years and not figure it out because great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the body of flesh. It's a beautiful, marvelous truth. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It doesn't get any better than that. Let's go to John 1. I might as well go there and look at this together. What happens in verse number 14 to the Word, which was with God, and the Word was God? What happens to that Word in verse number 14? And the Word was made what? Flesh. Uh, And it dwelt where? Among us. And we beheld what? His glory. And the glory was of what? As of the only begotten of the Father. 
And what was that glory full of? Grace and truth. Hallelujah. Look at verse 17. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Verse 14. The word was made flesh. Verse 17. Jesus Christ. That's who the word is. He's full of grace and truth. Verse 17 and verse 14 cross-references that. And the word, verse number 14, go all the way back to verse number one. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. I'm telling you, it's Jesus Christ. That's his, na his, his name of humanity. And the Bible says in 1 Timothy 3, 16, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. He's full of grace and truth. What did he say in John 14, 6? I am the way, the truth. It's right there. It's right there. Ephesians 4, 21 says, the truth is in Jesus. He's full of grace and truth. It's who he is. Now, those that correct the Bible and amend the Bible and want to change the Bible are not as intelligent as they would put themselves out to be. They say, they say that the word God was inserted into the text because they claim that the oldest and quote-unquote better manuscripts didn't have God in them. So they removed God from the modern versions, and one of the arguments that they use is say, well, that was just a scribal error. This verse is one of the authoritative verses about the deity of Jesus Christ and the triunity of our God, the Godhead, in all of the Bible. This one in 1 John chapter 5, verse 7. It's no wonder that both of these verses are attacked. Now, the non-Trinity cults, it, translators will use what's called nomina sacra. It's a term that means name of the sacred or sacred name. It was basically what scribes used. They used this, this term was, was given to what scribes did when they abbreviated sacred names. So in translating in scribes, the term is called uh, nomina sacra. For example, Christ, if they use nomina sacra, it was chi sigma, or the Greek letter which looked like an X, and then that Greek would look like E, sigma. That's what you see in the, uh, when you see the, the, um, on the college campuses, the fraternities. That E, that weird-looking E, it's sigma. It's out of the Greek alphabet. When they did Lord... Uh, they used the 10th letter of the Greek alphabet. It looked like the letter K and then Sigma. So Kappa Sigma. Well, it was an abbreviation. Sun was Y and then that E, which was Sigma. Uh, Upsilon Sigma. And so that was how they abbreviated sacred names. Well, when they got to God, when they got to God, the abbreviation was Theta Sigma. 
And the abbreviation was an oval, okay? And then inside that oval was a little dash in that oval. And so the, the 1611 translators said that the word was theos. It was, in other words, the oval in Greek with that little hyphen in it, that little dash in it. Now, why am I saying that? Well, because the Bible correctors say that, well, that little dash wasn't in it. They said that was a scribal error. Well, there might have been something that bled through the paper and created that. Well, if you take away that little dash and you're just left with that oval, it looks like a U or, a, or, or an O or a zero, it changes it from a sacred name to just being he. And so that's why the modern versions took out the word God. And it was a fight for Omicron, uh, Omicron Sigma or Theos Sigma. <laughs> and so that's why the modern versions removed, removed it. So they took God away and they put it as a pronoun, he. Now that's a problem for a couple of reasons. One of them is... Great is the mystery of godliness. If he was manifest in the flesh, that's not a big deal because all of we are. That's, look, the mystery is that God was manifest in the body of flesh. If it's just a pronoun and it doesn't specifically say God, that's only a mystery if it is God. <laughs> and then anybody else that was born in a body of flesh, it's not a mystery. It's completely obvious. God was manifest in the flesh. And so they want to make the pronoun refer to the mystery, but it, it's not a mystery. Now, this first happened, I believe, in 1582 in the Jesuit Reims Bible, even before the 1611 came out. That Jesuit Reims Bible was a Catholic Bible. They remove God. And in like manner, you see the same thing. You will not see God in 1 Timothy 3.16 in the ASV, the NASB, the RSV, or the NIV. Folks, I'm telling you, there's no scribal error. The King James translators got it right. God was manifest. God. God was. Ignatius in the first century... Three times, he when, when, when speaking on in his writings about this verse, three times it's referred to as God. Um, Hippolytus says the same thing in the second century, these early church fathers. He uses God twice when referring to the verse. Out of 30-some lectionaries, 27 of them have it rendered as God. 252 Greek manuscripts have it rendered as God. I'm telling you, God was manifest in a body of flesh. That's the mystery. King James translators had it right.
And it is a mysterious thing. Let's just think for a little bit about the uniqueness of what it must have been like to be Mary. I mean, she took care of Jesus. She took care of Jesus. <laughs> what an amazing way to be used by God. It's God manifest in the body of flesh. Now that's a great mystery. I wonder if Jesus ever just to freak his mom out just started talking to her when he was like one. <laughs> Have you ever thought about that? It's God manifest in the body of flesh. You think he ever just kind of threw his voice and made it seem like one of the barnyard animals were speaking? <laughs> I mean, you think about God living in a body of flesh, but he's being raised by his mama. Say that happened? Probably not. I'm just saying it's a mysterious thing to have God living in a flesh suit like we are. Yet that's exactly what happened. And we're talking about the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I believe it's, it's Psalms. Um, Talks about God, he, he, he doesn't, he, he, he has no need to slumber nor sleep. I mean, do you think he never slept? Of course he slept. Why? Because he was like us. He was tempted like us, but wasn't like us because we would fall to the temptation and he didn't fall to the temptation. So did he sleep? He sure did. Did he thirst? He sure did. He wants us to thirst after him. See, that's why he came. Does he, did he hunger in that body of flesh? He did, but he's got, you saying God goes hungry? Is he going to starve to death? <laughs> he was like us. Wanting us to hunger after him. Wanting us to thirst after him. Wanting us to find rest in him. Everything that he did in the flesh, he wants us to find in him. I can find rest. I can find thirst for my soul. I can find hunger. My hunger, my appetite is satisfied in Christ. Hungering after truth and righteousness. Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1, the foolishness of God is wiser than man. And that's a good truth to get a hold of. The weakness of God is stronger than man. Let's go back to 1 Timothy 3. I love this verse. There are some really great contrasts. In just this verse, and the first one we're going to look at, these natural opposites. Watch, it says, God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit. You see that contrast that's being laid out? Flesh versus spirit. And the Holy Spirit provides the evidence and the Holy Spirit justifies Christ's claim of who he is, which is the son of the living God. 
That's what the Spirit does. Christ is who he claims to be. The Holy Spirit justifies that. The Holy Spirit presents evidence for that, that God was manifest in a body of flesh. Um, who descended on Christ at his baptism? The Holy Spirit. Okay, that's 1 Timothy 3.16. Justified by the Spirit. Um, look at Matthew 12 for a second. Uh, watch what Jesus says in verse number 28. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit, Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. What do you see there? Jesus speaking of the Spirit. He, how did he cast out devils? By the Spirit of God. See that? Um, look at John chapter number 3. John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Look at verse number 34. What was given to Christ without measure? Let's read the verse. For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. That's the Spirit providing evidence that Christ is who he claims to be. Justified in the Spirit. Uh, look at John 16. Do one more on this one. John 16. Bible says verse number 8, John 16, verse 8, And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and ye see me. Of no more of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. Who is that? Look at verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. It was The Holy Spirit was sent into the world to do what? Convince? Judge? And, and so like... Think, I know that anybody can give the gospel out. It'd be great if we got, you know, a dozen gospel tracts and lost people's hands and just had them hand them out for us. I mean, that'd be great, at least the words being sown. But if you are talking to somebody, what is convincing them isn't you. God's just using you, and he has something indwelt in you that will judge, that will convince, that will guide, that will... It's called the Holy Spirit. And we better be careful that we aren't going in the flesh, although we have to go in the flesh, right? Our flesh has to show up. But we're not being led by the flesh. We're being led by the Spirit. Because the Spirit is what is going to convince the world of sin. 
Not your ability to argue. Not my strong personality. Not your intellectual ability. It's going to be the Holy Spirit. And the more we lean into that, the better, the better we are. When Christ came, he was in a body of flesh. Did they accept him or reject him? They rejected him, right? Put him on the cross. You know what he sent? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. So you can't lay any charge against Christ because he's justified by the Spirit. More witness that Christ is, is the Messiah. He's not an imposter or deceiver. The uh, non-Trinitarian cults, J-dubs, Mormons, they don't believe in a trinity. They're trying to deceive you. They're trying to get you to not believe the Godhead. And, I mean, just hold on to that Godhead doctrine as long as you can because... It's right here in this verse. And what we say, the Spirit's contrast, we're talking about that Spirit versus flesh. Did you ever think about if you ever lived on the earth while Jesus was on the earth during His earthly ministry? It'd be a pretty cool time to live. You would probably conclude what I would conclude. Well, Jesus, He really doesn't appear to be what he claims to be. Because if he appeared to be what he claimed to be in the finite minds of men, they would have received him different, but they didn't receive him different. Because when man looks at things, we, we appeal. You do this, I do this. We appeal to our own natural reasoning. We do this in all things. We make judgments based on our natural reasoning. Now look, we have the indwelt Holy Spirit. We better be able to judge righteously based on how the Spirit leads us. And the Spirit is going to lead us in what? Truth. And thy word is truth. You see how it all connects together? Well, I'm just led by the Spirit. Well, that's funny. What you're saying that the Spirit is leading you in, I can't find anywhere in the Bible. So that's not a spirit-led person. They go, by, they go by truth. But when we just go by our senses, it's a physical thing. It's like physical hunger. Our body feels something, and we kind of go after that physical appetite. And we hear something. It's our sensual side. And uh, what do we call that when we study the Bible? That's our carnal side. That's our carnal nature. We have a divine nature living inside us, the Holy Spirit. And that's going to help our flesh. What's going to battle our flesh, it's going to help our lives as Christians. How do you want to walk as a Christian? You want to walk by the Spirit, right? Well, it's fighting your flesh that wants to walk another way. And the flesh always hears carnally. The flesh always reasons carnally. And great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in a body of flesh, justified by the Spirit. And He wants us, He wants us to not be led by our carnal flesh, but by His truth. That's who God 
what God wants, rather. All right, last, uh, well, two more, um, two more opposites or contrasts that we see in 1 John chapter 3, in this last verse. So we saw the spirit and flesh. Now we see an opposite between angels and, and, uh, and nations, really. It says, seen of angels preached unto the Gentiles. You were either the nation of Israel or you were a Gentile nation. Um, angels are spirit beings made by God. Angels do appear to man. And when angels do appear to man, they always appear as men. When they appear as men, that doesn't mean they are men. It means they are spirit beings created by God that are appearing as a man, but they're not a man. They're not human. They're angels. But they, but they appear as men toward men. Who predicted Christ's birth? That be angels. <laughs> okay? Him being manifest in a body of flesh. God, not he. God. Um, who ministered to Christ in the wilderness in Mark chapter number one? That be angels. Okay? We're talking about God manifest in flesh. We're talking about the deity of Christ and the importance of this verse. Who proclaimed in Matthew 28, who proclaimed his resurrection? Angels. Angels are at his birth. Angels are ministering to him in the wilderness. Angels proclaim his resurrection. It's all about, they predict his birth. It's all about his flesh. God, greatest mystery of godliness, God was manifest in the flesh. Preached unto the Gentiles. It's not just a Jewish national thing where you've got the law and all that. We've gone through over that so many times. No reason to go through it again tonight. But you've got all the world now. Every Gentile, individual, every Gentile nation. It's not a message just for Jewish people. But before Christ, there was this dividing wall between the Jews and the Gentiles. That wall's been broken down. In this world, there is a dividing wall between the rich and the poor. That wall comes down in Christ. The rich fellowship and evangelize with the poor. Salvation is now proclaimed to all men. There is no advantage in being a Jew. So someone that is a Buddhist can be saved the same way that someone who claims to be a Baptist because they come to church every Sunday but has never trusted Christ, the Buddhist and the so-called Baptist can be saved the same way. <laughs> you don't want to go to, uh, you don't want to die and come before God and, 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 and say, well, I'm a Baptist. We need to qualify some things. Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? <laughs> yeah, okay, okay, now say you're a Baptist. There's a lot of people that will say I'm a Baptist, yet they've never trusted Christ. All they've done is just attended a Baptist church. I mean, they heard good preaching. (laughs) 
And it's a blessing their parents made them come to church and hey, they just kept the habit up. It's a good thing to do. Same salvation. Look, the wall comes down. The wall comes down. Do you know Mary worshipers can be saved the same way that a Muhammad worshiper can be saved? <laughs> they can. Well, one religion says we should kill the infidel. The other religion, the Muhammad worshipers are going to kill the infidel. The Mary worshipers, they, they want to, they're, they're peaceful. They're going to do all the social programs. Look, both need the Savior. Mary worshiper, Muhammad worshiper, same Savior. What do we preach to them? The same gospel, the wall comes down. The wall comes down, preached unto the Gentile. Black man saved the same way as a white man. Yellow man saved, same way as a red man. Poverty stricken third world countries, those people that live there are saying the same, the same way that rich, spoiled Americans are saved. The wall comes down. The wall comes down. Amen. Amen. Uh, so I wrote down Psalm 72. He shall have dominion also from sea to sea and from the river unto the ends of the earth. Praise the Lord. All right, last contrast, and we'll wrap up this study on the last verse. We saw the contrast between the spirit and the flesh, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles. We looked at that, angels, Gentiles, uh, gospel goes to all. Then it says, believed on in the world, received up in glory. The last contrast that's presented in 1 Timothy 3.16 is earthly versus heavenly. Believed on in the world, earthly, received up in glory, heavenly. The heavenly glory with all its purity versus the suffering, the death, the disease of this sin-cursed world, God was manifest in the flesh. He came from the heavenly glory and came as a suffering servant for our sin-cursed world. And so there's that contrast there. Um, and he's not only able, that's one thing, he's willing to save. You might be able to do something as would I be able to do something. And I might do it, but I'm not doing it willingly. Not only was Christ able, but he was willing. And he came as a suffering servant. Look, it's not your ability it's your availability. Are you willing to avail yourself to the service of Jesus Christ? You get no earthly reward. You might just get persecution. You get no worldly certificate. You might just get a spit in the face or a or a cursing. Do you still want to avail yourself to the work of the ministry? Satan would have you convinced, well, just keep it in the church house. Because the world's not coming in the church house. Well, how are they going to come in the church house if we won't go out into the highways and hedges and compel them that his house may be filled. 
Is anybody going down to uh, Father Tom's pub tonight after the church service? I doubt it. You're not going there. Do you think they're coming here? No, they're not here, guys. And we're not there. So what do we got to do? Avail ourselves and find a way to get the gospel out to this world. Many, many ways. We've gone over that so many times as well. We're not going to park on that tonight. We are going to say we've got heavenly glory contrasted with this, this old world. Um, Christ, he's ascended up on high. He's received up in glory, but he hasn't forgotten us. Okay, it's not like, well, he was here on the flesh and now he's up in heaven and he's just so far away. No, he's not. You have the indwelt Holy Spirit and you might as well just take everything you have and throw it all into the cause of Christ. Fight the good fight. Make no terms with sin. And when I say give all that you have to the cause of Christ. That doesn't translate. Don't, don't think that I'm saying, well, you need to be a preacher. Don't think that I'm saying you need to be a missionary over in Papua New Guinea. No, there are so many other more things to do than preach. There are so many more things to do for Christ. Avail yourself, avail yourself and join with all of his servants to live for his glory. To live for his glory down here on earth. We have a heavenly reward, which I'm looking forward to. The earthly rewards, corruption, dust, moth. We've got something better. Mm -hmm.